This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep. In-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Richard Buxton, who's a freelance writer, and he covers Liverpool. He's on to share his thoughts on Liverpool ahead of the match against Fulham. This is our view of the opposition show, which is our preview for the upcoming match. I look forward to doing this show, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome back a guest who hasn't been with me for a very long time, a friend of mine, Mr. Buxton. Richard, how you doing? I'm good, Russ, and yourself? I am well. It's been a long time since we've spoken, obviously. Fulham have been out of the Premier League for several years, but we're back. So now we can actually break down a match. And uh, let's just get right into it. Just share with me your views overall the season so far for Liverpool in the Premier League. We'll start there. I think in the Premier League um, area, it's probably been as good as it's ever been. I think they're on course potentially on Sunday. And your listeners aren't going to like this being of the Fulham persuasion. They're on course to equal their best modern era. Um, return from their opening 12 games. Um, they've been really, really good in the league. Obviously, they've had a few blips, if you could call them that, with, um, with draws against City, Arsenal and Chelsea. But um, 27 points from 33 is pretty good, considering um, they didn't come up against a couple of the, of the top four rivals. Um, they're looking really good in terms of the style of the play. Um, there's maybe a few question marks over the, the, the rate of return from the the main goal scorers, Sadio Mane, Mohamed right. Salah, and Roberto Firmino. But, um, and obviously, there's been a few, um, say, probably concerns about the defence in, in recent weeks because there's been a few notable um, errors and, and a few notable flaws. But um, 
in the main, I think Liverpool are probably looking as good as they as they have been for a while to challenge for a Premier League title. Okay, excellent. Let's go back. I want to get your view of the Arsenal match. I watched it. Do you view this as a two points dropped or just a good result for uh, Liverpool against Arsenal? I'm curious your view of that match. I think you have to look at it in the, in the view of where Arsenal are as well as where Liverpool are. And, and it's, it applies like as well to the other two draws in the league against City and Chelsea. They're obviously games that, that we're not going to be guaranteed uh, three pointers. There's obviously going to be you know, some, some very close battles. I, I don't know if you remember the Man City game where Riyad Mahrez missed a penalty, which could have could have changed it. And they had um, a Daniel Sturridge equaliser to thank for for saving the points against Chelsea when it looked like that game had been getting away from them. So, I think in that the context of of points won or or dropped, I think there's probably an and probably a point end really for Liverpool in those games. Okay, excellent, there, my friend. All right. Let's transition. Let's talk about the Champions League. Obviously, there was a, a bad result this week in the Champions League. But overall, what has been the issues in the Champions League for Liverpool? Because it obviously hasn't been the same as it has been in the Premier League. It's hard to, to, to pinpoint exactly what's been wrong with Liverpool in, in the Champions League. I mean, there's been a few a few problems. Obviously, they've, they've suffered two defeats now against Napoli and Red Star Belgrade. And, and they, they edged out Paris Saint-Germain. Um, and that was a game which which was getting getting away from them, um, notably in the second half when Mbappe scored the equaliser and it came to the stoppage time and, and they got the winner. Um, so there's obviously questions there. Um, I don't know if it's a case of there's, there's a hangover from last season's final when they obviously lost to Real Madrid in, in very difficult circumstances um, or whether because they're dealing with relatively unknown quantities in terms of teams they face. They haven't faced um, PSG for a good 20 years in any European competition. They haven't faced Napoli for eight years, uh, and that was in the Europa League. Red Star, you have to go back probably 40 years. I mean, this isn't, it's not really an excuse, but its there doesn't seem to be a specific reason. And, and that's the problem with Liverpool at the moment. It seems to be that maybe because the momentum in the league is so great and they've gone on this unbeaten run and, and are doing so well in terms of performances and against some of the bigger teams in their own league, Maybe the Champions League, they are caught slipping a little bit because maintaining the momentum is probably not a bigger priority than potentially winning the Premier League this year, which does seem to be the main the main objective for Jürgen Klopp from, from what we can see so far. Okay, very good there, my friend. I've been fascinated with the differences between the leagues of how they're playing in the Champions League and uh, compared to how they're playing in the Premier League. But let's focus on last season compared to this season. And I guess we could look at it twofold, with the Champions League and also in the, in the Premier League. Richard, what have been the differences between Liverpool from last season to this season? I think personnel has been a big, big factor. I mean, they've, they've obviously replaced um, the goalkeeper. They've obviously given um, a lot it's of been excellent. A, um Yeah, Alison Beck has been absolutely superb. And you look at what he replaced in, in Loris Carriers, who was... Um, in my opinion, he probably should have been um, moved on, whether on a loan or a permanent deal, probably 12 months earlier than, than he was in the end, because his debut season, although it's probably a bit harsh to judge him on it, it was really, really poor. There were a lot of glaring errors, um, and it became a case of he was he was the lesser of two evils after Simon Mignolet had been the lesser of two evils earlier in that season. So it kind of uh, alternated between the goalkeepers who were having problems. Uh, Mignolet, it has to be said, has been... Um, he's made no secret that he wants regular first team football, but he's obviously quite um, quite dignified about it at the moment. He's not um, kicking up much of a stink, although he did have a, a bit of a 
a few things to say after a few offers were turned down over the summer because Liverpool couldn't find an adequate backup in the event of Allison getting injured. But I think Allison's probably been the biggest thing. I think there's people see similarities with um with Bruce Grabbler, one of the um the more successful goalkeepers of, of Liverpool's past, um quite a flamboyant character and, and you know, wasn't um wasn't partial to uh, to venturing out of his, his, his off his goal line or um, juggling the ball about in the penalty area and that sort of thing. And we've seen that with Allison already. And it, it may be too early to make comparisons, but there's definitely parallels in terms of the the approach to goalkeeping because Allison is probably what Liverpool needed last season, what they definitely needed in the Champions League final last year, and and probably what they've needed for a good five years since Pepe Reina left because Simon Mignolet good at the goalkeeper as he is. He, he isn't the standard that Liverpool need to challenge right. the titles. Beyond that, I think probably defensively, the addition of Virgil van Dijk has been a definite positive. I think, you, you, again, you've seen a, a long-term successor that wasn't there maybe when um, the likes of Jamie Carragher and Sammy Hippier moved on. Um, you know, Liverpool have had, they've had competent defenders, but not ones who would you consider to be capable of, of, of taking them to that next level. Van Dijk's quite statuesque, quite tall. Um he puts a commanding presence up. He's quite vocal. Again, something Liverpool have lacked in defence since Carragher left, I would say. Um, so there's been a lot to be taken from that. And also, it's not just what Van Dijk brings in terms of his personal presence. It's what he brings to the other players. He's obviously taken um, Joe Gomez under his wing, uh, who's quite a versatile um, defender. And he's become a, a virtually um, a first, first choice in defence with Dejan Lovren struggling for, for injuries recently and obviously having to recover from, from reaching a World Cup final and, and all the exertions that came with that. But um, I think even Lovren's probably profited a little bit from Van Dijk um, being there. There have been, obviously, some drawbacks with that. He has um, come over some criticism over a few uh, mistakes here and there, notably against Red Star Belgrade recently. And even the um, the Leicester City uh, win in September when Alisson was um, roundly criticised because he tried to play the ball out from the back when there was um, a lurking threat and um, what a lot of people tended to overlook was it wasn't just the goalkeepers climbing around and it, it's all on him it was actually Van Dijk choosing to play it backwards yep. when he probably could have taken it uh, let's say a more safer option um, but I probably think defence has probably been the biggest difference but I think as well there's, there's other aspects of Liverpool's um, personnel which are going to take time to, to improve and develop I think notably in midfield with the the mid, the, uh, there's two holding options, Navi Cater and Fabinho. They've come in uh, for very big fees. We're talking close to £100 million. And um, they've, they've had quite slow starts. I mean, not, nothing nothing alarming, nothing abject. Just just not really uh, had a grip on games the way people, I think, imagined and uh, thought. And there does seem to be a bit of a, a cult um, following for Fabinho. Every time he doesn't play, there's questions. Why isn't he playing? And, and you know, he should be playing. And, what a lot of Liverpool fans tend to forget is um, is that you know not every player who comes in in the summer is a guaranteed starter. You know, but there is that adjustment period. Not everybody uh, can settle the way Allison has or has been required to. There's always that um, bedding in period, and you know, unless you're familiar with the league like, like um, Van Dijk was and like Jared and Shakiri was previously, you're not going to hit the ground running. So players adapting to a different culture, a different uh, club, a different way of playing, particularly in, with the Premier League being a bit more, let's say, breakneck than um, than the League One and um, and the Bundesliga than than those two players are used to. It's going to take some time, but I think in terms of the the biggest difference, I think they may again, and I, I don't like making the comparisons here, but there's potential that those two players could could form the 
a link that probably has been missing for a good decade. And, you know, when Liverpool had what the fans used to call the best midfield in the world, right. Steven Gerrard and, and, and Xavier Alonso and Javier Mascherano and those sorts of players who could who could make an impact in, in the middle and also break the play up. And, and I think that's probably what a lot of fans are expecting for Fabinho and, and, and Keita. But whether it, it comes off, obviously, we won't know until probably the end of the season and we can get, get a better picture of it because at the moment it's only based on the, the reputations sure. rather than, than the reality. Right, the execution that will come in time and you'll be able to assess if uh, they're up for that type of uh, praise, you know, to, to get to that level. That's uh, I'm glad that you went into detail about that, Richard. While you're talking, I'm thinking about this uh, comparison because for Liverpool to win the league, they have to jump over Manchester City. And I've seen Manchester City and they are a juggernaut. You know this, you've, you've uh, covered them, so you know how good they are. What does Liverpool need to do to get to that level? Because that level is insane. It's it's very difficult, and I think uh, as with a lot of Liverpool's failed types of challenges, it's been about what the other teams do rather than what they do. Of course, there, there have been notable exceptions. I think the one that springs to mind, probably most recently, was the 2014 one where they uh, threw away a lead um, against Chelsea and a point lead against, and lost to Chelsea, and then uh, tried to chase a goal deficit against Crystal Palace and and drew that game and and fell two points short. So that was obviously shock inflicted and. And there's been other examples, notably the um, the 96-97 season where they were on the brink of a title and it looked, looked like it was going to happen. And then the final run of games, they lost to Man United and they lost to um, some teams that they shouldn't have lost to really based on the, the squad they had and the and the opponents they were facing. Um, and quite catastrophically, they finished fourth in a, in a two-horse race. And, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, Liverpool have tried to guard against in recent times. And I think Jürgen yeah, Klopp's done it incredibly well. But again, it comes down to what the other teams do. And City have been, I mean, City have really raised the bar. And, yeah. you know, people are, are debating have City ribbon football because they're having a dominance <laughs> that Guardiola didn't enjoy at Barcelona. Real Madrid have never enjoyed with the Galacticos. Even Bayern Munich and Germany haven't enjoyed anything like this. And, you know, even Manchester United, who, you know, City were, were, were so intense on, on their. On toppling. Richard, let me ask you, yeah, do you but, think it's really, could depth be the difference? Be, you know, and again, I know that's simplistic to say that it's depth because they're just so dynamic and it's Pep's system, but they can come at you in waves, you know, and if someone goes out, it, it, you know, if De Bruyne is injured, the train doesn't stop. Absolutely, and this is, this is where Liverpool have definitely been um, trying to strengthen over the summer, obviously with the, the midfield options coming in, obviously with the new goalkeeper and and I think probably the, the addition of Zeran Shaheri, um is probably quite crucial because that does offer them a depth that if Salah's struggling or Firmino's struggling, um, they can bring him on. They've obviously still got Daniel Sturridge, who has had a decent um, return to form. Uh, he's obviously tailed off a little bit recently, but he, he, you know, he hit three goals and three successive outings in September, and and he's come back from the brink essentially as a Liverpool player because when he went on loan to West Brom, no one thought he was coming back from that. That was it, you know. Once you're out on loan, that's the end of your Liverpool career, essentially, uh, for a lot of players. Not many come back from it. I don't think, I don't think that many come back from it, really. But um, I think that Liverpool have a better depth in terms of the options. But as you say, City have just got, have just got an immense amount of depth. As you say, yeah. uh, the Bruyne doesn't doesn't play. They got Raheem Sterling. Sterling <laughs> doesn't play. You got Leroy Sane. I mean, you know, this no, is no, what no, no. Liverpool are up against, and you know, this is. Yeah. This is why why it's all about what what Liverpool have to face rather than what Liverpool do themselves at the moment because 
it, it brings back memories of the of the last time they went really, really close. Um and just fell short through no fault of their own. I mean, they won. They well, they, they finished second with 86 points in 2008-9, and United finished with a further four points. Now, no, most seasons, 86 points will win you the title. Um, Liverpool's death probably wasn't as good then, but it, for the time, it was probably as good as they were going to get. United just had that right. little bit extra. They were getting the, the rub of the green, and you know, you can't account for City running away away with it. We didn't think they were going to they were going to get 100 points last season. I certainly didn't when, and I covered them quite extensively last season. But you you just wonder what will it take for this to to come unraveling? Because you saw it yourself, Russ, when when the form were in the Premier League back in the day about 10 years ago, you had United, Arsenal, and Chelsea all vying for the title. There was never just one team running away with it. You always had. Okay, United will win it a few years on the bounce, but there was always a team up there challenging them. It was always a Liverpool or a Chelsea or an Arsenal. There was never that that monopoly that City are enjoying, and you, know, you can't knock them for it. Obviously, they've, no. they've invested heavily in you know. I, I know there's obviously a lot a lot of questions being asked about City at the moment, and a lot of, a lot of scrutiny coming their way. But you know, they 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 recruited well, they recruited smartly. I mean, you can't really knock them for that. But in terms of where Liverpool, um. If Liverpool can topple them, I think it's going to come down to mental fortitude. And, and you know, if City's levels drop, that's when Liverpool and Chelsea, I'd say, and, and maybe even, even Tottenham and Arsenal might have a sniff that this yeah. isn't a, as much a foregone conclusion as it, as, it, as it appears. And and there might be some hope there. But again, I think the problem is that City have got such a remarkable depth. I mean, you know, yeah, you've made four or five teams out of yeah. 13. So, you know, you have to wonder. What will it take? That's why I wanted to ask you, my friend, because uh, I find what they're doing fascinating. And to see it up front, watching them play Fulham now twice. And uh, in the Carabao Cup, it's still, you know, some of their key players, even though they have basically uh, a B or C team, I could even say, and they are still so dominant. It doesn't matter who they throw on. It was just uh, something to just watch this team play under Pep Guardiola. It's... um, you know, it's free-flowing, beautiful football to watch, seriously. And uh, I'm just – I can admire it even though I'm very jealous of what, of what they're doing. So I'm just curious what you thought, you know, could be the difference for Liverpool. And I guess it really is City has to drop a little bit, you know, like their intensity. But that's going to be hard because, uh, again, just new players come in. They can just change it up. Pep has the players. If things aren't going right, just put in another player. That's what's crazy about them. All right, my friend, let's get into this. Let's start with our preview by looking a little bit deeper into Liverpool. And what I usually do is I go to whoscore.com and read off their strengths and weaknesses of what they say and also the style of play and get your thoughts if they match up with what you know about Liverpool. So let's start with strengths. This is what whoscore.com says, and, and then feel free to add a strength that maybe they're not mentioning. It says very strong defending set pieces, creating chances through individual skill, shooting from direct free kicks, finishing scoring chances, counterattacks, attack and set pieces, all strong. Those are all strengths. It says style of play, short passes, possession football, control the game in the opposition's half, attack through the middle, non-aggressive, play the offside trap. So I gave you style of play and strengths. Does that match up with what you know of Liverpool? Um. I'd say so, yeah. I think the one thing I probably would add to it is energy from midfield, which it tends to be quite an underrated quality. And um, particularly if Jordan Henderson um, is available, which from what 
Jürgen Klopp said on Friday was that he will be in contention. And because Henderson offers a remarkable end, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't personally believe he offers much else in the way of, of, of qualities and attributes, but you don't really need it when you have that ability to, to drive a team on with your with your, your just pure pace. And that, I think that's what Liverpool have with Henderson. And, and as well, I think, it, you know, it's, it's not just pace which they have in the midfield drive. They also have James Milner in there. Um, Gina Wijnaldum has become quite a, a versatile midfielder. He was he was initially an attacking um, central midfielder and he's become more of a, a, a versatile player in that he can drop back into the into a holding position. So, and he's done that remarkably well. So there are players who are interchangeable. Obviously, again, Milner's a player who he can play practically anywhere on the pitch. He spent a time in the season before last at left back. So it, they've got that, that option as well, as well as what they offer in attack. And and again, as as, as you said there, the defence is quite solid at defending. Yep. Um, although I, I think some people would argue it's not that solid if you look at the uh, Red Star Belgrade results. Okay, well, that's funny that you say that because... The weaknesses that are listed from whoscore.com, aerial duels, very weak. <laughs> and then it says uh, defending against through ball attacks. So you've already talked a little bit about the aerial duels. What about the through ball attacks? I think to a degree, yeah. I think Liverpool have been undone quite a few times on that. I think um, if you look at the some of the goals conceded, I think probably the Champions League uh, equalizer against PSG in, in the game they obviously won. There was obviously a free ball that undid them there. And it's the sort of thing that Liverpool don't seem to be able to, to contend with. I don't know if it's if it's something that they need to, to work on um, in terms of bringing in a defensive coach. Um, it, it has been discussed quite a lot under the the previous manager, Brendan Rodgers, that they were quite weak in defence. So maybe that's something that, that they need to look at at, at, uh, at working on whether with an external coach or whether internally they do need to, to stop themselves being undone by by just those three balls, and and I think that, that the, the onus for that as well falls on the midfield, not just the defence. You know, the defence is the last line of attack before you get to Alison Becker, but they obviously the midfield, and it, it has proved costly in the past that they haven't cut out these balls, and and even have, have, have been complicit. I mean, when Aldum's um, careless pass on Tuesday night was was a classic example. It allowed Red Star to. to making roads and to double their advantage at a time when Liverpool probably could have got themselves back in the game. So I think the culpability is twofold there. Okay, very good there, my friend. All right, as we look towards this match, who are your key players for Liverpool against Fulham? Who has to play well? Uh, well, I think the strikers, obviously, I think that goes without saying. Um, yeah. I think probably whether Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane or Roberto Firmino is on the score sheet, I think it's probably incidental. It's more about about which, which one of them clicks into gear because... There have been a few problems in terms of Liverpool's um, attacking fluidity between those three. I think it was um, the Red Star Belgrade home game was probably the first time um, for about I think it was eight months since, oh sorry, six months since they'd um, they'd all scored in the same match. Uh, I think I'm remembering that right. It was either that or the Cardiff City game. I forget which. They all play into one these days. But um, Salah's obviously had a lot of um, questions after his his run of form. People were saying that he hadn't hit the heights this season that he did in the previous year, but I think a lot of people are misremembering that as well because yep. Salah didn't actually hit a, a real, real good run of form uh, until probably the midway point of of the second half of last season. So from the March-April time, he, he was banging goals into form and, you know, he went on a run of scoring, I think it was 10, game, 10, 10 goals in, it was 12 games or something like that. But that, but you forget that 
there's, there's a bit of mitigation there. You know, he scored four against Watford. He missed, he missed, um, he failed to find the target against Manchester United and Portland to successive games. So, you know, the, these these statistics can be can be skewed and can be scrutinised in various ways. Um, but I think there is genuine concern about Roberto Firmino's form. Um, he's not looked at his best, and you know, he was he was obviously rested on um, on Tuesday night against Red Star, and um, he's. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if, if it, again, if it comes back to the Champions League final burnout because it was such an immense effort to get there. Um, but I think it depends on who who leads the line and, and who's who's on top form because that that will decide. Um, if Zed and Shakiri plays, that's that's probably going to help the case a bit more because he's been. I don't think he's had a poor game really since he's he's joined Liverpool. He's always had an impact, even when he comes on late in the game. He really does change things, and and we saw that in the PSG game um, in September. So there's a lot riding on him. And then beyond that, probably the goalkeeper and, and obviously the centre-back pairing of, of Van Dijk and Gomez because they, they've they come in for a lot of criticism this week and, and they really need to answer the critics. Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right, before I ask you about form commentary on form, I do have a very interesting stats comparison between the two teams where they are in the league and I get this information from whoscored.com. These are offensive stats, so keep that in mind. But I find them fascinating when I look at Fulham compared to Liverpool. And I have several categories. And so I want your thoughts on that and then go right into your thoughts on Fulham. Let's start where both teams are on goals. Again, this information comes from whoscored.com. Fulham are tied at 15th with 11. Liverpool are at 4th with 21. Shots per game. Fulham are 9th in the league at 12.6. Liverpool are 5th at 14.4. Possession, Fulham are 7th in the league at 52.4, and Liverpool are 5th at 54.5. Passing percentage, Fulham are 7th at 81.2, Liverpool are 3rd at 84%. Crosses per game, Fulham are tied for dead last with 14, and Liverpool are tied at 10th with 17. Long balls, Fulham are 7th with 67, Liverpool are 17th at 56. In short passes, Fulham are 7th in the league, at 443 per game, and Liverpool are third with 543 per game. And I wanted to bring these stats to you, Richard, because you and I talked off air about the Tottenham match. You were there, and uh, I think you can see the way Fulham want to play in these stats. Actually, they would like to play similar to, say, Manchester City and Liverpool. They obviously don't have the ability to do it at that level but you can see through these stats the way Jokanovic wants to play. So I wanted to share that with you and see how Fulham match up against Liverpool. Well, I think statistically, I think that, that does bear out Jokanovic's uh, philosophy. I think, you know, a lot of clubs do lose their way when they come to the Premier League and, and they do find themselves, you know, enslaved to some very um, dogmatic tactics. I think, I mean, we I saw it firsthand with Everton last season when uh, they appointed Sam Allardyce. You know, it wasn't yeah. a sort of brand of football that Everton would have would want or would have entertained normally and you know other, other clubs who are in t- similar situations where there is a threat of relegation and whether it's it's you know it's in the middle distance or it's, it's closer to home and um, you know a lot of teams do end up abandoning philosophies and going in that different way of playing but I mean it's clearly kind of it's just tried to he's tried to carry on where, where he, he left off with um with um, with uh, with obviously where they, where they, they obviously aspire to be, which was obviously to get here in the Premier League, and you could see that in the Tottenham game there was clearly something there, and obviously Tottenham came back for that 
there was two goals. Um, but you could see something there where that I don't think you've seen in probably. I probably I tell you what you haven't seen in a full side probably since the last in the Premier League. In that, I mean, I don't. I I remember the the, the games under Martin Yo and they weren't. Yeah. They weren't the best, and you know oh. this is this was like uh, this was more like what form wants to do and how form wants to play. But obviously, exactly the results aren't translating, and that's the, that's the problem. You know, unfortunately, it is a results business, and you know the methods might be right, but the, but the right time and and the right methods do not always always collude. And and this is where I think you kind of if he does lose his job, you'll be very unfortunate because you know as I say, I'm not. You know, I don't think you try and give, give every manager the benefit of the doubt, and you try and look at things from, you know, a clear perspective. But as you say with the statistics, they don't, they don't exactly scream, you know, long ball, you know, relegation, um, you know, that sort of, that sort of approach. It, it doesn't scream that to me. It seems that the right. club is obviously trying to play the right way, trying to mix it up, and trying trying to trying everything possible. Um, Within its own ideology, um, but I, you know, it doesn't always work that way. You look at some of the results that could have gone, gone on the favour. If, if you got two points at Wembley, that would be a massive, massive result. Sure. And you, you don't know how much momentum that has. And you know, I think, I think the players at form have got as well. You know, they've, they've gone on a really remarkable spending spree over the summer. It's not a case of you know, this isn't a club that's being left like Newcastle where. You know, the owner's not putting his hand in his pocket, yeah. or you know, at Tottenham where they've been hamstrung by a new stadium. You know, former uh, are putting money in because you know they've got to, to invest to, to stay in the Premier League, and they've, they've, they've recruited really well. Whether it's through loan signings or or permanent captures, there's been some remarkable recruitment uh, gone on there. But again, it's just a case of why why the methods aren't translating to the players, why why the manager's approach doesn't seem to be getting through to them. Um, it's a mystery to me because I, I definitely saw. Enough at Wembley, and again, it, it's early season, yeah. So it, you know, it, it can cloud your judgment slightly. And and but from my own judgments on that, and what I've seen in other games, there's clearly okay. something there. It's just a case of per- persevering with it, really. You know, and that's the struggle here, Richard. That's why I'm glad that we're having this conversation. You bringing up the Tottenham match, because as a supporter of Fulham, I see everything that you just said. I I could even throw out the first half against Everton where Fulham played very well in the first half. I thought they outplayed Everton, and then Everton turned up the pressure in the second half and, and got some goals, and, and that match was uh, taken care of in the second half. But they seem to have the ability to, to put in some good halves of football. They just can't put in 90 minutes. And um, it's a result-based league. It's all results. And unfortunately, that's the situation Fulham are under right now. I think it's a combination. This is just my opinion. I told the guys on the cop table, that it's a combination of injuries, combination of new players, and also Savisa learning the league and being able to try to adapt against certain opponents. And uh, I think he is um, learning that, and there's a huge learning curve. And I, I think that this combination is why Fulmar, where they are, they deserve to be in 20th right now. They do. They, they have not been good enough. But I've also seen glimpses of what you saw, Richard. That's why I'm glad that we're talking about that. Let me ask you, let's move on. What Fulham players concern you against Liverpool? I'm curious. Well, I think the obvious one's got to be Mitrovic. I mean, again, I, I, you know, he obviously showed he, he had enough to get in behind the spare defence and obviously get that equaliser. But he's also, I mean, his record last season in the Championship was was really, really impressive. And, you know, he, he's always going to be a threat, and especially against a defensive line, which is coming for... Well, it's been shown it's me got that, let's put it that way, um, over the past few days. And I think, you know, that's the sort of, these are the sort of games that players like Mitrovic will relish, you know, 
uh, you can't say because he didn't really have a, a spectacular time at Newcastle that you know that you can condemn him to surplus. He's, he's obviously shown up for him, but he's a competent striker, very very handy to have around the box and who can strike when you need. And so, and I do think he'll be a problem. Um, I think the other players, I think probably it goes without saying, Sessegnon is, is you know a player who Liverpool are well aware of. Obviously, there's been. You know, there's been well documented the link between Sessegnon and Liverpool in the past. You know, we're yeah. actually looking at him, and and not the only Premier League club it has to be said who were who were tracking him. Um, sure. But obviously he's he, he's stayed at Fulham and he's happy at Fulham, and, and you know you can see you can see what he offers as well. He's he really is a threat, and you know he really caused him. So if you had a few problems um, on the right hand side, and I think a lot's going to hinge on on that in terms of who Klopp plays a right back because he's got the choice between Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez now if in, if injury keeps uh, Dejan Lovren out for a bit longer then logically it's going to have to be Gomez partner Van Dijk but if not Klopp's then going to decide whether Gomez is better suited to, to trying to shackle um, shackle um, Sessignon or yeah. whether Alexander-Arnold is and it's, it's interesting because um, for the Manchester City game Alexander Arnold, um, funny enough, on his 20th birthday, the, the biggest present he was given that he was benched, um, and Gomez was allowed to play at right back, and it did remarkable, I've got to say, considering you know the, the threat City up, especially you know with the likes of uh, Sterling and yeah. and uh, and Silva, you know they, they offer some real, real, real danger, and you know Gomez is is uh, is 20 years old, Alexander Arnold's 20 years old, and you know it's 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 not really. It's not really a, a surefire bet that either of them would start. You know, it's, it's going to depend on the opposition, and I think that's where where I think the versatility will come in handy because you know one of them is going to have to, have to be really on the A game to keep hold of their obsession on. Okay, very good there, Richard. All right, let's go to matchups. I do this uh, in this show, and uh, let's start with Fulham's attack versus Liverpool's defense. And you've talked about several players on Fulham and also on Liverpool. So, who do you give the advantage to here? I think it depends on what what Liverpool defence turns up. Really, um, okay. I think I think again the Red Star Belgrade game. I think because it was so uh, unforeseen what was going to happen there, um, and such a shock really in terms of you know how how lapsed they were. I think um, it depends how quickly they recover. You know, Liverpool have lost games this season already, um, but not by any great margins. You know, we look at a second string loss to Chelsea in the League Cup. By one goal, um, very close fourth game, and you know you can't really read too much into that. But obviously, it was quite a close thing. And then the Napoli game in the Champions League was uh, again; it was a very tight game. There was very little going their way. Uh, there was very little coming out of the game in terms of Liverpool actually winning winning possession and that sort of thing. But um, but I think the Red Star thing was just unprecedented for where this this team is now in terms of the standards they set themselves defensively. Um, how diligent they are. This was a wake-up call, and I think it will really will depend on whether Van Dijk and Gomez or uh, Lovren, if he plays, if they are psychologically um, over what happened, obviously in Serbia. Okay, excellent. All right, let's switch it to Liverpool's attack, which we know is impressive. But I think you've already mentioned, isn't it, at the level that it was last season against Fulham's defense, which has been the worst in the league, but. Again, the Jokovic is trying to address that, make them more solid. And recently, it's been a little bit better, and that's just saying seriously, just a little. So I would think that you would have to say Liverpool's attack have the advantage here. 
You would, yeah. On paper, I think definitely uh, that that backs it up. But I think it's something that I think uh, a lot of people um, need to remember about Liverpool, and it, I think it probably it's probably quite promising for Fulham is that um, Liverpool's attack, as good as it is, it isn't guaranteed to be free scoring every game. And 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 the reason why I say this is because you look at the um, the game against Cardiff City recently, another promoted right. side. Um, Liverpool won it 4-1. The scoreline suggests it was an absolute rout. Um, but until probably the last 15 minutes or last 20 minutes of the game, Liverpool were, were only two ahead. And it wasn't really... It was a weird game because Liverpool didn't really have a major foothold. Um, obviously, they led at half-time, they led at full-time, and, and, and the goals you know, reigned in between. But um, there wasn't really that much from the game and the first half, particularly where you thought Liverpool are going to come out of and you know score three or four goals. You thought this would be a one nil, maybe a two nil yeah. for lucky. Um, and it, it did appear to be it was going to be a two nil game. I think until they had that little onslaught with, with you know led by Shakiri and you know that drove Mane on and 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 the like. There wasn't really that that sort of feeling that Liverpool were going you know. And I think it, it speaks volumes of Liverpool. And the level of expectancy up in this season, everyone expecting to go out and score four or five goals, yep. and, and they expected to be like it was, you know, in the in the housing days when they were winning league titles at a canter. But I mean, I think people again, I think I think history um, tends to cloud people's judgments and particularly nostalgia because Liverpool weren't running out every week and winning games five 0 and you know they weren't going out and trouncing at Arsenal and Tottenham and and Nottingham Forest and Everton. They weren't going out and doing that every week. That they were they were you know once once in the blue moon things. They weren't you know. They weren't routine. I mean, winning was routine, but sure. you know, scoring, racking up the goals was not routine. And this is this is the thing that I think people need to to, to realise. Just because City can score six goals doesn't mean that Liverpool need to score six to be considered, you know, equals with them. Um, and that was a point Jurgen Klopp made in his press conference this week. But just because City scores six doesn't mean you know we have to score six to be considered as great as them. Right. But, but the reality is that it, you know people will perceive them that way. Um, just, I mean, I've, I've kind of laboured this point a little bit, but you know, I think it will depend on, I think probably, you know, how the game pans out really, because the longer it goes on, where Liverpool aren't, you know, uh, asserting the dominance like it was against Cardiff, the more Fulham will fancy the chances, and you know, Cardiff obviously got a goal at Anfield, and you know, it, it it did make for a fraught few minutes before Liverpool, you know, extended their lead, um, so. I think probably attack some defence on this, but, but again, it will depend on how the game pans out. Okay, excellent. Richard, all right, now I want to ask you about an interesting battle. And um, Fulham can play 4-3-3 or, say, a 4-2-3-1, and I know uh, Liverpool can do similar. So I'm curious about this central midfield battle because Fulham's strength last season was the midfield three. There's no question about it. It sets everything up. And uh, that has now the three players has changed from I, I believing that it could be Kearney and Giza and Surrey. And if it's those three, I, those are the three players that I want to see build the midfield three for the future for Fulham, because I think that's where they need. These are the players that I think that, that need to be the midfield three, but you've already talked about the um, central midfield situation with Liverpool. And I'm just looking at who scored.com. Like you said, this could change, but let's say it's Keita Henderson and Fabinho. So what are your thoughts about this matchup? Do you give Liverpool the advantage here? I think Fulham eventually can play with a Liverpool in central midfield. Maybe not right now because they don't have that cohesive three yet. But I'm curious your thoughts on this uh, matchup here. I think if Fabinho plays, I think a lot will depend on how he adapts and, and how quickly he adapts to the game. Because, you know, he's, he, as I said before, he's not, he's not underwhelmed 
and he's not really done himself any disservice. But again, it, it does take time to adapt. Um, do I think probably Fulham will fancy the chances with with, with Sherry midfield, and maybe he could he could potentially um, best Fabinho on that one potentially. Um, but similarly, he could best he could best Henderson, who's only coming back from from injury. Um, I think Liverpool will. will it's probably going to be more of an arm wrestle situation that Liverpool will okay. just about overpower them because, you know, the quality of their midfield options is is greater than forms, even with, with, with you know, Kearney and Sherry in there. Um, there is still a, a great amount of of, uh, of of swaying Liverpool's favour in that one. So, but it, again, it will depend on who is the weak link because it could be Henderson or it could be Fabinho. I mean, it could even be Cater if he plays. Okay. I think there's probably, obviously, these players back from injury. Um, so you know it's it's a bit tricky um, to ascertain who's going to be who's going to be the the weak link. Um, or and you know obviously players coming back from from form. So um, it's going to depend really. But I think probably Liverpool will have enough. Yeah, I, I would have to give you the advantage, and I think Fulham's midfield three will improve as the season progresses. But right now, I, I would have to give Liverpool the. I agree with you there. Here's an interesting situation. I want to ask you about both uh, coaches here. Jurgen Klopp and Slavisa Jokovic, I normally say who has the advantage, but I, I want to ask you about these two guys in this way. Jokovic is definitely learning the league, and he's struggling to learn the league. I want to ask you about Klopp when he first came to Liverpool. Did he have a learning curve? I think to a degree, yeah. I think there was obviously, I mean, there were some games which Liverpool should have won on paper, um, even with you know a club that had been down on its walk in terms of, you know, it obviously changed managers. You still looked at it and thought, this is this is a team that they should be doing better. And I think the one that springs to mind was the um, the draw with West Brom, where Klopp took the players on a lack of appreciation down towards the cop, and he was obviously derided for that. And, and actually, when you look back at it, it was a very, very vital uh, lesson in terms of fostering a team spirit. But in terms of the league itself and adapting to it, I think he learned that you can't always play the gag and press style of, of playing games at 110 miles an hour. And, and you know, essentially, I think it's probably the polite way we'll be saying is, is it's basically a continental version of the Blackpool model, the idea of, you know, they might score four, we'll score six. Um, and, you yeah. know, and we'll just keep hitting them, hitting them and hitting them and hitting them. Um, which a lot of, you know, Klopp's performance at Borussia Dortmund were, were famous for. And, you know, right. that was a lot of things that, you know, people were enamoured with them for. So I think he's learned he's had to had to mix and match game management. I mean, there's been a few games over the past, I'd say, season and a half, maybe two seasons, uh, two previous full seasons, rather, where Liverpool have needed to eke out the game rather than trying to, to you know, to hit another team for six. And I think that's been a definite, uh, a definite positive in terms of Klopp's development. I think he's learned that you can't always go out, and again, you can't go out and just outscore your opponents. Obviously, you can try, but you know, when you start going down, down that route, then, you know, the danger is, and Brendan Rodgers found it out as predecessor, you can't score six because they will score seven. If you have that right. mentality of we can outscore them, it's going to come back to bite you. And Rodgers wasn't, Rodgers wasn't, wasn't wet behind the ears. Rodgers had had hard season in the Premier League. He knew what to right. expect. And he still played this way, this sort of pseudo-Barcelona style. Um, <laughs> Klopp, to his credit, hadn't tried to do that. He's, he's actually tried to to play, stay true to his principles, but also with an awareness of what the league requires and what the league is. And you know, 
it's not a league where you have fancy tippy tappy football all the time. You have some teams who can execute quite brilliantly, Man City occasion points, but not every team is going to be like that. You're going to have teams like Southampton, like um, Cardiff, teams who are going to make it difficult for you. They might not always get the get the win, they might not always get the points, but they will make it difficult for you. And that's something that he's, he's adapted to. Whether Jakanovic can adapt to that, I'd like to think so, especially as, he, as he's got a bit of a grounding in that. Yep. He's had he's had some time in the Championship with Fulham. He's obviously seen how to do it through through that hard route because getting into the Premier League nowadays is not easy. Staying there is even harder, but getting in is, is definitely not an easy route. So um, I think he's had a, a grounding, but again, that doesn't guarantee anything really. I mean, you look at some of the managers who have um, who have come from the lower leagues, where you know it, it is quite. Um, it is quite unforgiving and quite demanding. I mean, I think, you know, classic example was uh, Carlos Cavajal, who went to Swansea City. Yep. Obviously spent, spent some time in the Champions League with Sheffield Wednesday and, and didn't really um, didn't really hit the heights that many were expecting it. So it shows that, you know, not you can't take experience for granted. Um, but also I think you have to have a willingness to learn. And I think this is what you kind of itch, is probably going to find out the hard way when the pressure cranks is that, he might need to change things slightly, but you know, there's there's a difference between changing things slightly and abandoning your entire philosophy, which some totally managers agree. and some clubs have done in the past. And again, Southampton is a, is a very noticeable example of that. Yep, and you and I talked about that, Richard, and I agree with you. And glad we're talking about this because I, I wanted to look at Klopp. I know Fulham are going to always be at a different level than Liverpool, but to learn from you that Klopp had to learn the league and learn how to adjust within his style. And now Liverpool is where they are. And I think that's something that Jokanovic needs to do. He's said this in several pressers that he's a new manager in the Premier League. He's learning. And unfortunately, I think uh, Fulham supporters are seeing that learning curve. But again, I the one thing that I hope he gets right, Richard, that you mentioned is that he does not go against his style, that he sticks with his style and try to find the middle ground between learning the league and playing within the league so he can still adapt his style to the league. So I'm glad that we're talking about this because uh, I'm a big fan of Jokanovic's. I'm completely against Sackingham. I've said this on Cottage Talk. I've done polls about it. And it's funny, Richard, because the polls that I've done are 55% not to sack him, the 45%, somewhere around there. But it's a slight advantage. But, you know, it just tells you that there's a, a, a split here. There's split amongst Fulham supporters but um, my only thoughts on that is that I, I understand where that's coming from. But he doesn't become a bad manager overnight, which one of my co-hosts said on the prior show. And you have the proof that he can coach. And I've seen it. And it's now just up to him to be able to adapt his style and these players to play within his style. And, and they're responsible just like he's responsible. All right, my friend, let's finish this up with my section of predictions. First, I, I want to go to you before you give your prediction on the match, ask you these two questions. This is the first one. What does Liverpool need to do to win this match? Uh, I think probably forget everything that happened on Tuesday night, I think, and just uh, almost start afresh in terms of, you know, misremember that there wasn't a game on Tuesday night, essentially, because the, the mistakes that happened there, they were so uncharacteristic. I mean, Liverpool didn't really have a foothold in the game um, and the defensive mistakes compounded it. And I think they probably need to look at the after game and what they did right. Um, 
rather than what they did wrong in Belgrade. And I think that just comes down to, again, the time of the philosophy of same as last week, which, you know, serves so many tight winning teams effortlessly and, and will serve Klopp's team effortlessly, irrespective of whether they win the league or not, because obviously we've, we've established it might be trickier than, than it was for the predecessors. Um, I think Liverpool just have to stick to what what they know and and not fixate on the defensive issue too much. It's just a case of, of being back on the A game and, you know, the result will follow. But again, you know, we saw against Cardiff, it wasn't a formality. Um, and, and that's probably something that Fulham will, you know, will cling to is the fact that Cardiff managed to keep the score down relatively low for, I'd say, the best part of the game. Sure. Uh, probably until the last, probably 25, 30 minutes at most. And then when, you know, I think that's probably what, where Fulham will be looking to it. Um, uh, from a Liverpool perspective, probably just, again, keeping, keeping fresh in the memory of the Arsenal game rather than, than the Red Star defeat, because that's where, I think, if you start fixating on things like Liverpool managers in the past have done of where have we gone wrong rather than where we've gone right. If it's a blip, it's a blip. But, you know, there's nothing to suggest that what happened on Tuesday night was anything more than a blip. It was just lapsing in concentration. Nothing really, you'd, you'd, you'd say Liverpool are really struggling and this is this is going to hold them for the rest of the season. This this felt like a one-off and, okay. and I'm sure it will prove to be one-off. So that's what sure. Liverpool needs to do, really. Okay. Now I'm going to put you in the shoes of Slavisa Jokanovic. What does he need to do to prepare his team and get them to win this match, which is going to be an incredible feat to pull that off. So I'm curious your thoughts on how they can do it before I get your view on it. Just want to mention while you were talking about this, I was thinking about how Fulham have played Man City twice. Again, one's in the Carabao Cup, so you're not seeing their entire strength there, but you're still seeing a pretty strong team. I saw a completely different approach against Man City the first time, which they lost 3-0. They went at them, which... Probably was a huge mistake, and it didn't work. Even though the score line was only 3-0, it could have been a lot worse. Second time around, it was, I believe, 2-0, but they looked more solid at the back, and actually one goal was, was, I believe, a little bit of a deflection, and they actually just looked better against that team. So I want to ask you, knowing Liverpool, and, you know, again, you did see Fulham play against Tottenham, what did Fulham need to do to win this match? I, th- I think probably uh, you touched upon it there. I think probably what the, what they did right against Man City in that in the two 0 defeat is probably what and I'd say I'd even argue what they did right against against Tottenham earlier in the season. Obviously, different parameters. Obviously, you know players aren't available now uh, who who played then. But yeah. there's obviously lessons to be learned there in, in in the style the stylistics of it rather than the personnel. And I think I think there's definitely I think I'd say Liverpool probably need to just disregard what happened on the. Um, on Tuesday night, I think you kind of just need to look at it and see where did he go wrong? Because it wasn't just one set piece that, he, that, that undid them. It was, you know, they were wearing them down from several set pieces and, you know, the, it, it probably could have been a couple more conceded in, in, in that nature. Um, but I think that's probably what Fulham should try and look at and look at. And also, I think, um, I just wanted before, the, 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 the right-back situation is going to be very, very interesting because whoever um, they put up against Session on, I think you kind of it. Obviously, you know the time frame is going to be quite limited yep. in, the, in the build to kick off. But you've got two options essentially. You've got Gomez and you've got Alexander Arnold. You need to look at both of their weaknesses and see which ones made more high-profile errors. And again, it's a tough one to do because I don't think either of them have. But you've got to look at, at that, and you've got to look at also if if the partner with Gomez um, on the right-hand side of central defence, what that's going to. Um, 
is that going to be an easy position to get at? Because when Dayan Lovren was um, a regular starter, even alongside Van Dijk, there was always this concern of when he's on the right side of the defence. I'm fairly certain it was the right side. Um, I might be might be wrong on that one. Uh, he was always weaker on his right side than his left. Um, so that the same could be similar, said for Gomez if he plays, or even if if Lovren plays, which yeah. I feel would be quite unlikely. Um, I feel like that's probably where where they can get up the push down that right hand side and okay. and probably there. Um, in terms of probably midfield, it's going to depend again on on who he plays. If he plays um, Fabinho, that could be a weak link. Um, okay. Henderson Henderson could be depending on how he is how he is fitness wise. But I, I mean, if, if Henderson isn't 100 percent fitness wise and yeah, in cross minds, Henderson won't start the game. He'll be on the bench. So it's probably going to come down to if Fabinho starts. Um, but I think as well, what probably negates that is um, James Milner, who's really, really dependable. And we touched upon that before. Uh, if he plays, I think getting a foothold midfield is going to be tricky. So it's going to be come down to that James Milner might be the most underrated player that I can remember in the Premier League. Seriously, one of them, at least. I don't, I don't know if he's the most underrated player. I think he's probably become a bit more rated than than he, than he was previously. I think probably okay. when he was at Man City, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I think there's quite a few players you could you could debate about who are the most underrated in the Premier League. Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say Milner's probably 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 to probably. I just think he's very valuable. Is what I'm trying to say. I, I know how valuable. Yeah, Milner he's is. he's very he's, he's a very worthwhile player, and, and you know he's the sort of player that he's one of these um, interchangeable players. You know, we said it before. He played at left back for a time. He's obviously he got that ability where he can. Yeah, and and that's the sort of, you need players like that, and and that's why he was he was such an asset to Man City. Why when when he was allowed to leave on a free transfer, I, 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 was, I was surprised. I mean, I didn't. He, he's not a flashy player like like um, David Silver or Sergio Aguero or anything like that. But he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly a, a defendable player and one who, right. you know, what he lacks, what, what he lacks in star attributes, he makes up with grit, and that's what you need. You need players who, yeah. who knuckle down. And Liverpool have had so many of them down the years. You look at, I mean, you look at some of the players back in the seventies and eighties. They were, they, they were, they weren't all, you know, they weren't all flair players. They weren't all Ray Kennedys or. Or Kane Aglishes and, and that sort of player. They weren't. They weren't. You know, show. Well, they weren't. They weren't the best in show players. Let's put it that way. They were. You know, players who would get down and and and, and deal with the nitty gritty really. And that's that's probably where Milner probably is, is set apart from from others in the team. Um, and that's what I think. You know, he, he is a brilliant asset to those two. Um, best most of the in the Premier League year. Probably. I, I would have said. I would agree with you prior to him leaving City, but. Um, Probably, I think I think the appreciation from now. I mean, he's become a bit of a, a cult following in the social media area. You know, yeah. you see all these, you know, these videos, and he, he joins in the fun <laughs> himself. And you know, I think I think he, he he's aware of it. he's aware of his limitations and he's aware of his strengths. And I think that's that's what makes him such a great player. That's a great point. You know, he knows who he is, Richard. And Absolutely. Uh, I've always been a fan of Milner's, and that's why. Maybe calling him the most underrated player was didn't sound like I was giving him praise, but I was actually that's was my way of giving him praise because he's a player that is an asset if you have him on his side. And I'm glad that we were talking about that. But we do have to finish this up, my friend. So let's go right to predictions. Give me your prediction, then I'll share mine. I think probably I can't see form um not scoring in this game, but I think it'd be it'd be quite a probably similar to the last time he came to the probably Three, three, one, four, one. Probably okay. if they've been being generous, probably three, one. Okay, I'm gonna go for three nil and uh, to Liverpool. And I actually did this on the cop table as well. I'm just not feeling good about this match. 
based on what I recently saw against Huddersfield Town than against Bournemouth and Cardiff City. But maybe they will rise to the occasion. I'm talking about the players, and uh, Savisa will set them up correctly and prove me wrong and make it a game. I would be happy with a game, Richard. That's what I want to see. And uh, it's interesting to see what the approach will be because you and I are talking about this. Will he abandon his approach at some point? And uh, I hope not. I hope that he can find the middle ground to keep his style and just uh, understand that he needs to be more defensive within his style, especially against a team like Liverpool. I I thought I saw that in the Carabao Cup. And I think if he can get his team set up that way, I think they can give you a game. talking about Liverpool. So we'll see there, my friend. Listen, uh, before we go, I just want to thank you again for doing this with me. Uh, Richard, just tell everyone how they can find you on Twitter and also where they can read you. Okay, um, uh, on Twitter it is Richard Buxton underscore. Um, I'm sure you'll put it out on Twitter anyway, but yep, uh, that's I the best way to find me. Um, and then you can read me in a few places, um, clickliverpool.com, um, Sportsnet in Canada, the new paper in Singapore, and hopefully a few other places in the coming weeks and months. Okay, excellent there. Well, listen, uh, it's been wonderful doing this show with you, but it is time to wrap it up. For my special guest, Richard Buxton, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.